from the uh, Gospel of Luke, chapter 7. I'm, and I'd rather you just listen to this, this familiar story, but hear it and, 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 and begin to reflect on it and begin to ask God to speak to you through it. And I believe he has a word for us today. Luke chapter 7, I'm beginning to begin with here, verse 36. Just listen to the story. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who was a sinner learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped him, them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume over them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this were a man, were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. But Jesus answered Simon, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Now, neither of them had money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, now which of them will love him more? And Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. And then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. God's going to add his blessing to that word. You be seated. As our church begins to uh, take some steps forward and begins to imagine our future, after what was a difficult week, I want you to know I have been praying intensely about what it is I should say to you this morning. There are some things that in life that you believe to be true, and when you find out it's not true, it can be very disconcerting, hurtful, confusing. But it's amazing how many assumptions we make in life that aren't true. And it may not be the case at times that what we thought was true isn't. You know, one of the things I've realized as I've studied the ministry of Jesus is that he spends much of his time just teaching as a rabbi. And one of the things I've noted about his teaching is how often he debunks what people believe to be true. And he says, no, that is not true. 
For instance, when he taught about the kingdom of God, he often confronts what they thought to be true about God's kingdom and God's ways, and he stops them and he says, no, it's different. It's, it's different than you think. He, he spent a significant amount of time debunking the myths that people had been taught about God and about faith. A lot of what he did, he would say, you've heard it said this, but I tell you something different. I know that you've been taught this way. I know that that's the way you see it, but I'm going to give you a new way. I'm going to give you a different lens to see the world. And so Jesus comes onto the scene and he confronts often some false beliefs about faith, about religion, about how God interacts with his people. Now, we experience this in all other areas of our lives, and some of those are significant ways, and some of them are rather minor. For instance, when, when I was young, I was always told, don't crack your knuckles. Why? Because you'll get arthritis, right? Don't crack your knuckles. My mom would tell me that. I remember hearing her say that to me. Yeah, a lot of us, in fact, did anyone else hear that from their, from their parents or somebody? Yeah, growing up, a lot of us bought into that. But you know, uh, according to the latest knuckle-cracking research, and <laughs> there is some of that to be sure, one study said, and this is my favorite, it was from a doctor from California named Donald Unger, who for 60 years experimented on himself. And he cracked his knuckles on his left hand twice a day for 60 years. So that, I added it up that some 219,000 times he cracked his knuckles on his left hand, but he refused to do so on his right hand. He left his right hand completely uncracked. Now, I, that's kind of difficult to do if you think about it. But at the end of the 60 years, he's like, there's no difference. It's no difference. And that's good to know, because uh, with the stress of this week, I've been cracking those knuckles quite a bit. Now, in Jesus' day, one of the myths he came to debunk was the fact that spirituality is on the outside. That what it means to follow God is that you appear to be religious. You, you do religious things, and you have your act together, and you keep up with appearances, and you make sure you follow all the right rules, and you honor the rituals. But Jesus comes along, and he says, no, it's not about life on the outside. Jesus said, and we talked about this a few weeks ago, we opened this up with, he who believes in me, as the scriptures have said, rivers of living water will flow from his heart, from out of his belly, as the King James says, that, that it comes from the inside out. That is how it's supposed to work. The life that he offers is something on the inside that will work itself out. But here's the problem. If we don't feel it working itself out, if it's not happening the way we think it should, if it's not happening fast enough in the church, in the area of religion, we have learned to fake it. We know how we're supposed to look. We, we know how we're supposed to be. So we learn to keep up appearances. And yes, we hide behind us a false smile. We get the impression that everything is good and we don't have any problems. And the result is, is all too often we play a game with each other. 
And very often, and I've learned this, if you aren't willing to play that game, then you just don't fit in. And I wonder this morning how many people aren't in church today because they weren't willing to play the game. They hurt too much inside. They knew they wouldn't fit in. It would be too uncomfortable for them to be among God's people. Jesus comes along and he tells us God wants authenticity. God wants real worship. God wants real questions. Instead of carefully observing religious ritual, he wants an intimacy, a relationship with you. That instead of acting more righteous than you really are, what he wants is brokenness. Now, brokenness is a word that we don't like. Who wants to be broken? You you don't want to put broken on your resume. Broken doesn't work too good in the boardroom or or the classroom. We we live in a culture that has been termed, and, and maybe you've heard this before, but it's been termed a throwaway culture. More so than any other people in all of human history, what do we do? When something breaks, we throw it away. We don't value repairing or restoring or fixing or making something new. We live in a throwaway society. We throw things and sometimes we throw people away. Jesus gives us a different lens to look at broken things. And friends, this is an invitation for our church to follow him because Jesus invites us to come and look, come and see the world through his eyes. And friends, this is what I'm learning, and it's taken me way too long in ministry to grasp, but when Jesus looks at brokenness, He sees beautiful. Did you hear me? When Jesus sees brokenness, he sees beautiful. He sees something infinitely valuable. There's a little book by William MacDonald called Lord Break Me. He begins it this way. He says, usually when something is broken, its value declines. And that makes sense. It disappears altogether. He says, so broken dishes and broken bottles and broken mirrors are generally scrapped. They're thrown out. Even a crack in the furniture or a tear in the cloth greatly reduces its resale value. But then he goes on to say, But this isn't the way things work in the spiritual realm. In the world we know, if something breaks, the value goes down. But God puts a premium on broken things, especially broken people. When when God sees broken, (laughs) he sees beautiful. Of course, now think about this story in, in Luke 7. 
Jesus, we know, has been invited over to the house of Simon. He's a Pharisee. He's a religious leader. And as a religious leader in his community, it is his obligation, it is his duty when a rabbi comes to town to invite him over for discussion and dinner. And so we see Simon making that obligatory dinner invite, and Jesus comes to Simon's house. But we learn very early on that Simon's heart is not in it. He apparently doesn't really care for Jesus' message. Something about it disturbs him, at least. So Jesus comes into his house, and Simon doesn't give him a real greeting. In our day, we would say, shake his hand, but that's not what they did in that day. They would give him a kiss on the cheek, or at least a kiss on the hand, but none of that. There's none of that. And, and when it's time to eat, Simon doesn't make sure that the feet of Jesus are washed. That was always the proper thing to do when a guest comes to your home for a meal. At the very least, you would give him water so he could wash his own feet. But that doesn't happen. If you're especially going to be hospitable to your guests, you might give them some olive oil for their head. It was a way to refresh someone after they've come in from the outside. But Simon does none of those things. Jesus comes in and the dinner is simply served. The dinner begins. And Jesus reclines at the table. But then in the middle of the dinner, this woman comes in. If things weren't already a bit awkward and tense, they are now because this woman is known as a sinner. The Bible says she was known as a sinner. Never mind everyone else in that room save one. She was a sinner. It meant, of course, that she was a prostitute. She had committed sexual or uh, committed acts of sexual sin. And so when she comes into the room, yes, things get very uncomfortable. Why has she come? What is she doing here? You have to wonder if some of the men in the room weren't afraid. That she would accuse them. But no. She comes to Jesus. Something had happened. She must have learned about Jesus. Maybe she had heard him that day or the day previous. Maybe she had heard him teach. And there was something about the way he was teaching that said, God puts broken pieces together again. God can make the person who is broken whole again. God could still do something beautiful. Maybe in my life, she had to see Jesus. And so in her brokenness, she shows up at this dinner party. Now get this, understand it. She would have never been invited to that party, not in a thousand years. This was not a safe place for her. She would have avoided that place at all costs, but she had to see Jesus. And she knew how people would look at her. She knew people would look at her and say, she is broken beyond repair. A Pharisee would see someone who was a throwaway, but she knows that's not how Jesus would see her. So she's going to do something here that many of us would say is impulsive, reckless, embarrassing, inappropriate, 
unacceptable maybe? Jesus is reclining at the table. That's how they ate in the Near East. The, the, the woman approaches and the Bible says that she stands at the feet of Jesus, those filthy feet of Jesus. Of course, by now all conversation has stopped. Everybody is quiet. She fears, she she feels the, the stare of condemnation. Other people are just having looked, are looking down onto the ground. They're embarrassed by her very presence. But not Jesus. She looks at Jesus and somehow he knows what is happening in her heart and he lets her know that, that she's welcomed. I don't know how he did it. Maybe it was a warm smile. Maybe it was just the warmth of his eyes. But he's not afraid that she's there. And that welcome just undoes her. And the tears begin to flow. I think there were just a few at first, but then then it became a gushing. Then it became an overwhelming sense of relief as she basked in the grace of being welcomed by the one who created her. And out of relief, she just falls on the ground and she begins to kiss his feet. And all the while she notices something as the tears from her eyes land on his feet. She realizes how dirty they are. And it strikes her. His feet haven't been washed. You know, sometimes it's only through tears we begin to see things clearly. She knows what she needs to do. She can't ask for a towel. No one would give her one. And so she lets her hair down. Now, for a woman in that culture, we don't quite get this, but this is an intensely intimate gesture. It was not something a woman should ever do in public. That was something between a husband and his wife. But she lets her hair down, and she begins to take her hair, and she rubs it against his feet to wash it with her tears and dries them with her hair. But it's not over. The Bible says she has this bottle of perfume around her neck, the the same bottle I'm sure that she had used with other men, for other men, one drop at a time she had used it with many men. But here we are told she doesn't put a drop of that perfume on Jesus' feet. She dumps the whole thing out. She pours it all out. She is broken. Her life is messed up, but she empties it all out to Jesus. And yes, it was inappropriate. It was reckless. It was impulsive. But Jesus says, it's beautiful. Because Jesus sees the broken as beautiful. And, And so here in the story, this is what we see Jesus do. He, he turns everything upside down. He turns everything from the inside out. And he rebukes, you see this, he really condemns Simon the Pharisee. So you've got this religious leader who has his whole act together. He follows the rules. He does everything he is required to do. And Jesus rebukes him. And he turns around and he commends this prostitute who is a broken mess. 
And the story ends with Jesus just giving this woman a sense of incredible value and worth and purpose. He says to her, your sins are forgiven. And then in verse 50, Jesus says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. She is made whole by Jesus. So as we look at this story I've got a question for you this morning. And and to be honest with you, this is kind of a trick question. I will tell you that up front. I'm going to tell you this is a trick question, but I want you to think about its answer. Who would you rather be in this story? Who would you rather be in this story? I'm not asking who are you most like, but who would you rather be? Simon, well-respected, Pharisee, religious, has his stuff together. He's looked up to by people. He dresses nice. He lives in a good house. He's able to entertain others. Do you want to be like Simon? Well-respected, everything looks good on the outside. Or would you rather be like this prostitute in the story who is a broken mess but experiences the love and the grace of Jesus in the deepest parts of her soul? That's the question. Who do you want to be? Because here's why that's a trick question in a sense. Because most of us in the church, most of us have been Christians for quite a while. We want both. We want both. We want to be well-respected and thought of as having it all together and for people to to think certain things about us, whether it's true or not. And we want to keep our problems kind of behind closed doors. And when we're in public, we're going to have a smile on our face and there are no issues and we're just fine. We want to be that person and we want to experience the love and grace of Jesus. But I'm going to tell you this morning, it doesn't work that way. Listen, my friend, if you want to be made whole, you've got to be willing to be broken. There is no way to wholeness except through the door marked broken. If you want to know the love and the grace and the mercy of Jesus deeply, if you want that kind of value and that kind of purpose in your life, I'm going to tell you it only comes through brokenness. Now here's the truth. This is not fake news. This is not maybe it's true. This is not spin And maybe you already know this, but in case you don't, I thought it's important to be super, very, very clear. We're all broken. We are all broken. And those of you who don't think you are, you're the most broken. That's that's what the story shows us, right? Simon, the Pharisee, the religious leader, he's sitting there and he's thinking, oh, she should be embarrassed to even be here. But who's the one who gets called out for brokenness? It's not the woman. 
Jesus looks at him and says, Simon, you're broken. You just don't know it. Here's how broke this guy is. I mean, as a Pharisee, he would have grown up, and by the age of 12, he would have already memorized the first five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, memorized them. He would have known and heard and memorized the 300 prophecies of the Messiah. It was what he had studied. It is what he he hoped for. And yet, when the Messiah came to his table, think about that. When the hope of God's people came to his table, he didn't give him a kiss on the cheek. He didn't wash his feet. He didn't give him oil for anointing on his head. He ignored him. He, he's broken. He's broken. That's how broke he is. He is so broke, he doesn't know he's broke. And that's the thing about brokenness. The less you see it in yourself, the more you need to be broken. And so listen, the point of my sermon is not to be broke. You're already broke. I'm already broke. The point of my message this morning is is embrace the brokenness. That's the key to wholeness. Where we stop trying to hide it, where we stop playing fake, where we stop playing the game, we stop pretending like all the pieces are together. And instead we say, God, this is who I am. This is it. These are all the broken pieces. I'm a mess. I'm broken. When it comes to lust, and this is to my shame, it's still an area where I am weak. When it comes to, to food, the Bible talks about gluttony. You don't have to look long to figure that out. What my problem is, I like to eat, and I don't always eat the right things. When it comes to money and worrying about material things, I spend way too much time. Probably one of my biggest areas of brokenness is how much I care about what you think about me. Are they going to be in church on Sunday? Are they going to come back? Did I hurt their feelings? Did I say something wrong? I'm broken. I'm broken. And you are too. This woman was a sinner, she was broken. And of course, when something breaks, you ask a kid, when, when, when you break something as a kid, what did you try to do? You broke something in the house? Hide it, right? <laughs> Hide it. Get rid of it. Maybe it won't get noticed. And we do the same thing. And that's why we are the most in debt the most medicated, the most depressed, the most addicted people in human history. We hide our brokenness. And that's what happens when you hide. Now the good news is this. This is why we're here today. The good news is is that Jesus came to make us whole. 
Isaiah 53 reminds us, let me just read this to you. He wasn't some handsome king. Nothing about the way he looked made him attractive to us. He was hated and rejected. His life was filled with sorrow and terrible suffering. No one wanted to look at him. We despised him and said, he is a nobody. (laughs) He suffered and endured great pain for us, but we thought his suffering was punishment from God. He was wounded and crushed because of our sins. He was broken for my sin. By taking our punishment, he made us completely well. He was broken. So we could be made whole. I'll give you another picture in Jeremiah 18. The prophet Jeremiah writes and says this. He says, this is the word of the Lord that came to me, Jeremiah, from the Lord. Go down at once to the potter's house, and there I will reveal my words to you. So Jeremiah says, I went down to the potter's house, and there he was working away at the wheel. But the jar that he was making from the clay became flawed in the potter's hands. So he made it into another jar, as seemed right for him to do. Then the word of the Lord came to me, and God said to Jeremiah, House of Israel, can I not treat you as this potter treats his clay? Look, I know, I know that, that your jar hasn't turned out the way that you thought it should turn out. I know that you had in mind the, what you thought the jar should look like and what it should be. It hasn't happened and, and it's broken. Something has gone wrong. So you can hide the pieces. You can throw the pieces away if you want to. Or you can say to the potter, will you make this into another jar, one that seems right to you. Will you do a new thing in my life? And that's, that's what I want my people to know, that I can make a new thing. I can do a new creation. I can do a new work. Let me see what I can do with the mess. And, and so there is this process um, it originated in Japan several centuries ago, and I will mess up this, this uh, pronunciation, I'm sure. I'll have to talk to Grace next service, but it's called kintsugi. And it's an art form that restores broken ceramics. It, it really is a, a, an art which binds broken ceramic pieces together, seals them. So what's interesting about this process, it's instead of hiding the cracks from when it was broken, the cracks are highlighted. And then they're traced over with gold. So here's an example. We're going to show you a couple of others. So you have a valuable ceramic piece that is broken, but instead of throwing it away, You take the ceramic piece and you carefully put those pieces back together and then you see the gold. And here's what happens. The value goes up. It was worth more after this than it was before. That's what God does for his people. We are all broken people. We all have cracks. And yes, we try to hide them. It's our instinct. I get it. But God says, you know what? 
The very thing that you're most overwhelmed by, you're most afraid of, the very thing that you want to keep a secret, the very thing you want to be done with in your life, that very thing that you do not want to be true about you, if you let me, it can be the opportunity, it can be the opportunity to let me turn it into something beautiful. It's those cracks that make you beautiful. So you're broken. That's the news. But the good news is God wants to put you back together. He was broken for you. And so he can say to you this morning, if you're willing to admit your brokenness and pour yourself out at the feet of Jesus, your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Let's pray. Father, oh, how I love your word. Oh, how I love the hope it gives to a sinner like me. I thank you, Lord, that you can take the broken mess of my life and the decisions and mistakes and sin that I have committed and permitted in my life that have in so many ways hurt relationships and Lord caused distress and harmed even the church and my marriage and, and, and my family and kids. And somehow, Lord, you can turn it into something beautiful. But Lord, I need to be honest. Lord, this is a, a very important time in our church's history and we're going to make a determination in the next few minutes here as we as we contemplate this word, who are we going to be like? Are we going to be like the Pharisee and pretend that everything is okay? Or are we going to be like this woman who's willing to acknowledge our brokenness and our need for a Savior? Lord, I pray that your servants are listening and that we will allow you to heal those places and mend those broken pieces and make them beautiful again. Lord, do your work. Do the work that only you can do. Help us to see who we are so that we might clearly see who you are. We're going to sing. If you need to come to this altar as we do so, if you just want to sit or stand at the feet of Jesus because you are a broken mess. There's no shame here. There's no guilt here. We are all there. But you need to come. You need to be here. Maybe you've never come to the altar in all your years in this church. But today, you see yourself. And you realize that God wants to do a new thing in your life. I invite you to come. 
and receive what he has to offer you. He wants to forgive your sins. He wants to give you a knowledge that his salvation is going to accomplish its purposes in your life. He wants you to walk out of this place in peace. So you come as we stand and sing.